Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of No Reserve, Hagerty's podcast about the enthusiast car market. Now, we're here to help you make sense of the market, whether you're buying, selling, or just watching. Now, this week, it's all about the Monterey Classic car auctions that happened last week, and they were crazy. There was million-dollar classics sold like Camrys on the local used car lot. Now, our highlights include a $30 million Ferrari race car. There was also another Ferrari. This one, just a hulk of twisted junk, and it's sold for nearly $2 million. It's nuts. But if those sound crazy, there were a lot of bargains, too, and we're bringing them to you. I'm Larry Webster, editor of Haggerty Media, and I'm joined by Dave Kinney, the publisher of the Haggerty Price Guide. Between the two of us, we've got decades of experience buying, selling, and driving the cars we love. Plus, we just don't guess at the values. We're backed up by the data of the Haggerty Valuation Tools. All right, let's get into it. Okay, Dave, it's just a few days since uh, the craziness that is in Monterey Car Week and all the auctions, which are our purview. I'm slowly drying out. How are you feeling this morning? <laughs> totally sober. Sober as a judge, man. I'm ready to go. Hey, uh, you know, do we have that much to talk about? I mean, kind of really nothing. <laughs> nothing happened, did there? I mean, you know, it's just kind of boring all the time, right? It, it was such an eventful week in terms of uh, there on that Monterey Peninsula, in terms of auctions, big results, uh, new car reveals. Um, and you were part of the team on insider.haggerty.com that really just kind of ran a blog, an ongoing live blog all weekend. And it was super interesting to to hear the commentary. And you can go and see it on insider.haggerty.com. But, you know, one of the things that um, I think was a theme over that entire coverage was that there this year was not awesome, not terrible, kind of a middling year. Would you say that's a correct characterization? You know, I talked to uh, one of the principals of an auction company and I didn't you know, interview him, but he said, uh, when I asked him, I said, how are things? He said, good. He said, the word is good. Yeah. And I said, you know, you're absolutely right. I started thinking about it. It wasn't an excellent year because last year was an excellent year, but it certainly wasn't a bad year. So mm. I'm, I'm going to go with that. It's it's kind of like everything's good. You know, we be good. I mean, thumbs up type of good. And, and I'm fine with that. And, you know, it's really nice for the marketplace because you do not want it expanding all the time. Uh, you don't want it to collapse. That's for damn sure. But we're nowhere near that. Well, OK, so there was over 1,200 cars sold over this time period. And as you've pointed out many times, it's a tiny fraction of the entire classic car market. However, this somewhere over 200 cars were sold for over a million. So this is a very affluent crowd. And the the feeling and emotions around the market and money and how they feel, this group feels, it's really important. So what you're saying is, especially in the terms when everybody's talking about recession, interest rates are on the rise. These folks are still feeling comfortable enough to spend a lot of money on their toys. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, absolutely. Not just the toys, the accessories that go with them. I mean, you know, the, yeah. and, you know this Monterey week, uh, you know, used to be a couple of days. Now it's over a week uh, where mm. everybody's around. Uh, the amount of cars, the amount of, uh, you know, people here just I don't think it's ever been this big. It's it's that, you know, it's it's huge and it seems to be growing. Just crazy stuff going on. Yeah. I mean, I think you're right. The traffic was like. <laughs> I mean, I'd never seen it that bad. I mean, I've been going to that this week for about six years. So usually about Friday it picks up and it becomes oppressive, but it was starting there by Wednesday. I mean, it was um, the interest and the fun of it was was just off the charts. I really, you know, my favorite part are the historic races that happen at Laguna. I don't know if you got over there. Um, I mean, they had some incredible cars there, you know, from all these old F1 cars to, you know, Group C stuff. Did you get there? No, I wasn't able to get there. I had to, you know, cover auctions. And it's been a couple of years since I've been at Laguna. I think I've been coming here about 15, 20 years, something like that, Larry. Yeah. And, you know, every year gets a little bit more crowded. You know, I guess kind of the good news is that if you, you know, if you're a Porsche guy, you might go to three Porsche events. If you're a yeah, Ferrari yeah. guy, you might go to four Italian car and Ferrari events, all that. There really is something for everybody to do. And I got to tell you, the one thing that's the coolest thing for me to reinforce everything we've been talking about since we started this podcast, how many kids did you see with actual cameras around their neck? Forget the iPhone. These kids were out taking photos for their blog and for their Instagram and whatever. But I guarantee you I saw over a thousand people with a camera around their neck 
There's no place else I can think of where you're going to find the people who've invested that much in their love of cars. Uh, you know, it might be granddad's camera. It might be dad's camera. But they're out there filming. I mean, they're out there oh, using uh, yeah. using digital and film. Ah, Dave, you're so perceptive. I Yeah, I saw that. I didn't think to, like, call it out. But, yes, uh, I went to this hotel, and it had, a, like, a courtyard where the valet was. And this this place was insane. There were four Bugattis in this little yep. area, plus an Aston Martin Valkyrie. And there was a whole crowd taking photos of these things. And I don't know how this happens, but I don't think they ever moved. So I'm like, well, somebody like just had them delivered there and parked. And that was the end of it. But it was kind of amazing. And yeah, I did see all the people at street corners. And, you know, uh, you know, to your point, something for everybody. I think you went there too. There was a 20, the Concours de Lemons on Saturday morning. Did you go to that? I did not go this year. I had a competing event, but uh, yeah. you know, always a lot of fun, always craziness. Uh, you know, I've seen, you know, maybe 400 photos from there, and anybody should check that out as well. It's the uh, Concord de Lemons. It's the best of the fun shows, as far as I'm concerned, completely free. Yeah. And, you know, it is the uh, egalitarian part of Pebble. Okay. Beach because- I, we'll move on, but I saw this guy. He had a Nissan Leaf. <laughs> Uh-huh. Did, I, did you hear about this thing? No, I did not. I mean, I could have hugged this guy. Oh, oh, wait a minute. I did hear. I did hear. I remember it now. Guy has a Nissan Leaf, and he goes, he wants to build his own plug-in hybrid. So he takes a Nissan Leaf, which is front-wheel drive. It's electric only. It's got a battery pack. It was cheap as stink because the battery had eroded, and it was only going 30 miles on a charge. So then he buys it, and he takes a Kawasaki motorcycle powertrain and gas tank and puts it in the trunk to drive the rear wheels. <laughs> It's amazing. He's like, yeah, it's plug-in hybrid. I was like, is it fast? He's like, yeah, oh yeah, it's fast. Super cool. I, I, somebody's going to LS swap a leaf here one day, and we, we are going to go fly out to wherever they are and give them, a war, give them an award, right? Yeah, totally. But uh, <laughs> please, yeah, go to insider.haggerty.com. You can get uh, you know a lot of in-depth stuff, and you can really get a blow-by-blow the whole week, which is really, really fun. So kudos to the guys who put it on. But Dave, you know, one of the biggest surprises, uh, shockingly, in a place where it's known for Bugattis, Ferraris, exotics of the week was a Mustang, right? Tell us about it. Yeah, the GTD. Uh, both you and I got invites to go see this, and it was at one of these hotels with the fancy courtyards. And uh, uh, Bill Ford was there. Jim Farley was there. Uh, uh, you know, a whole bunch of, uh, you know, very, very high-hitting people were there to introduce the GTD Mustang. And it is aimed squarely squarely at a car that's first letter starts with P. Don't you agree? Yeah, it's a brand new Mustang. Um, it's the most uh, high performance Mustang ever built. Like, you know, to back up, they are going to build a GT3 racing version of the Mustang that will compete with Porsche 911s, Ferraris, the Corvette at ra- at endurance races like Le Mans. And they're saying this is the street version. And um, heavily, heavily modified. It looks really fantastic. But a huge stretch for a Mustang, don't you think? Yeah. You know, they started out close to $3,000. This one is $300,000. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, it's a, it's very much a special build. High, very, very high tech. Uh, they are talking about seven-minute Nuremberg, Nuremberg ring time, which is just unbelievable. Uh, but I think they're going to do it. I mean, it, you know, they, they're, they're not playing around with this one. This one's, uh, you know, this one's, they've planted the flag. I think they're going to, they're going to build it and do it all the way. Don't you? Absolutely. Uh, you know, they're using this company called Multimatic and Multimatic is, has a guy at the top named Larry Holt and he's like a mad scientist. And, Mm-hmm. This car uh, is going to have somewhere over 800 horsepower. It's supercharged. What they moved the transmission to the rear axle, like a cor- like the C7 Corvette, to improve the weight distribution. They have these really neat Multimatic uh, spring and damper assemblies with two springs, and mm-hmm. supposedly it'll have a reasonable ride on the street. When you get to a track, this hydraulic ram compresses that softer spring lowers the car and now you just have this kind of racy track spring which i you don't see a lot of mechanical innovations and there it was and i thought it was really cool but it's it's really cool stuff yeah the car looks great they wouldn't say i don't know maybe you heard nobody would tell me how many they're going to make and it's at least a year away so this is really kind of fantasy land did you hear what they're going to make 
I heard rumors of a thousand and two thousand, and of course, Multimatic. Uh, you know, for those of you who are saying, "Somebody say it, somebody say it," are the people who built the latest Ford GT as yeah. well. So, at three hundred thousand dollars, not going to mark this one as a bargain yet, but it could very well be a very attractively priced car if you're shopping a GT3 Porsche or something along those lines. Well, I think in the supercar realm, there's really a law of diminishing returns because um, during this week, I. I finally got behind the wheel of a Z06, the new Corvette Z06. Mm. And I purposely took an afternoon and went down Carmel Valley Road, way past all the, the craziness, so I could I could sample that car. And it's crazy. I mean, it is crazy fast, Dave. I mean, you know, the thing revs like 8,500 RPM. It wails like a Ferrari, tons of torque, really unflappable chassis. I thought, holy smokes, this Corvette is out of out of this world. And then I looked at the sticker price in the glove box, 144 grand. Uh, it's it's the best bargain of everything out there. 100%. Yeah, but the, yeah, but the Corvettes were always like, yeah, yeah, you know, it's got warts, but it's half the price of this. There are no money warts, and it's still half the price. So that's where this Mustang. I mean, I think where this crowd at Monterey, it just seems like they'll pay whatever for anything, and the more expensive almost <laughs> makes it more attractive. And I, that's a really cynical view. Is it too cynical or do you feel you No, know? in some ways I'm afraid it's very realistic. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, you know, we live in the real world, Larry, and yeah, I right. think there's some people here who have created their own alternative world. Uh, not that it's horrible, not that it's bad, but it's uh, good to come back to reality once you've been out here for a while, I guess. I, you know, that's not to say it's all about the rich people. It's all about the rich people's cars. This is all about cars, full stop, because you can play at any level out here. Well, okay, unless we can put a bow on that thing, it was badass-looking Mustang. It's fantastic that there, there's so many versions of the Mustang now. They're going all in on Mustang. But as you say, uh, that week, is everybody focuses on the high dollars, but there's some great stories all around. And one you were intimately involved in, and that was a McPherson car um, that was actually competing on the highest concourse in the world, the Pebble Beach Concourse. Give us a sense of what, what happened there. All right. Ten years ago at McPherson College in McPherson, Kansas, they decided to uh, build a car for Pebble Beach. Uh, it's an audacious goal. They found a 300S that they bought. And in seven years, they restored the car. Now, keep in mind that in seven years in a four year college, you know, the people who are finishing the build were in middle school uh, when, you know, when this car started. So uh, uh, it's been this incredible goal. It's a 10-year plan. It was called the Path to Pebble. And we made it on the Path to Pebble. We made it all the way to uh, the field at uh, Pebble Beach. Wow. And we got a second in class, which is just enormous. To, to think about this, there are restorers who come here for years and years and years and never get a first or second and third. Yeah. And so everybody's happy. It was a great experience for everybody. Uh, there's photos all over the place uh, you know, of the uh, of the McPherson car. Yep. Uh, I'm on the board of the uh, advisory board of the Automotive Coast. Restoration. Yeah. Very, very emotional for all of us. It was a Aww. great time. Great time. Okay. Well. We're going to forgive your bias, obviously, but um, <laughs> I'm um, letting it out there. I, everyone knows. That's well, not, I that think is, absolutely, you know, for the audience, the Pebble Beach Concours has a section of judging where it has this team of marquee experts that know Mercedes inside and out, and they know how these things were originally built. So when a car like this is judged and, you know, you could have your feelings about something being judged, but they're looking at originality faithfulness to the original car, but also the craftsmanship that went into the restoration. And so what I think you were getting at is, you know, the most experienced, best restoration experts in the world hope to win some award at Pebble Beach to sort of establish their business. And here these kids showed up and they did it on their first try, right? Absolutely. It's a, yeah. it, you know, it's the feel good story of the week. That's for darn sure. Well, Dave, thank you for your uh, support and help with that program. Those kids, I went and saw them. They were ecstatic. Uh, they were constantly polishing that car. Mm -hmm. And I looked at one. I said, you're going to wear out the clear coat. And the, he had this look. And I was like, dude, I'm just kidding. I mean, he was that serious about it. <laughs> He's like, yeah, yeah. Right, get out of here, old man. So I said, okay, <laughs> fair enough. Yeah, um, there was definitely no clear on that car. 
And then, so there are a lot of stuff that happened that week. I mean, you were like, uh, I think a celebrity treated you like a celebrity, some woman that talks about cars, right? Yeah. You know, Larry, you got to get with it. Supercar Blondie. She's got 14 million followers. Oh, I know. It's amazing. And, uh, you know, I had a, had a nice conversation with her. Uh, you better not, uh, you better not discount this, uh, this very nice woman. At, yeah. Uh, very nice. You, know, you do, you do so at your own risk. She knows an awful lot about cars and an awful lot about what's out there. And it was fun, uh, you know, meeting her and her husband and, uh, talking to them. So, uh, yeah, I did the celebrity photograph. Uh, you know, I've got, uh, I, what can I say? I'm a stalker. Uh, yeah, well, I'm good, a stalker. Okay. Good, good for good. you. Autograph yeah. hound. That's fine. Yeah, that's me. Well, let's move on. We're going to go to our opening bid section. There's so much to talk about because there's a lot of cars that we talked about two weeks ago that were going to be for sale. Now we know what they sold for. The first one was, I think, the headliner of the week. And that's the, um, it's a Ferrari 412P. It's a 1967 race car. I, I mean, Dave, tell us about what happened with this thing when it went across the block. It opened at $27 million, which is astonishing. You know, most of the cars, even if they're, you know, $30 million cars, which this car turned out to be, um, it, you know, they open at, you know, maybe $10 million or $5 million or something reasonable, you know, something that Larry and I could, you know, just go through the change drawer and pick up <laughs> and, uh, you know, and have that $5 million bid so we could at least say I'm we ready. own the... We own the car for, you know, for 20 seconds or something. But the, the bidding opened at 27, and there was only one other bid, and it was 27.5. So $27,500,000 plus the juice, that's the fee that you have to pay uh, <laughs> to buy these things, got the car out for just a little bit more than $30 million, $30,200,000. Uh, I say worth every penny. Bargain I of the this. week. Yeah, right. Love this car. Uh, you know, not for everyone because uh, not everyone has $30 million last time I checked, but it's a really cool car. I like this car because it's the last, to me, the last of the cars that were designed by car designers and not by wind tunnels exclusively. So this car has a lot of good looks. It's got a face. It's got a body. A lot of the newer cars that are race cars don't have a face. They just have uh, some wings in the front. You know, this car still has it. So uh, I'm happy for it. I don't know who the new buyer is. I'm sure they'll be happy with it, too. I, 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 I mean, I'm like all <laughs> choked up over this thing. And I, this is what's really funny about being out there, because you hear something that somebody in this realm might think about that would never enter your mind. And one of the things I heard about this thing was uh, the, because it was a 67 and it was sort of an early one of the P cars, it had carburetors, not the later mechanical fuel injection systems. And the reason that was noteworthy was that these carburetors are more tractable. The thing will idle, it'll work under part throttle versus the fuel injection system, according to this person, which could have been full of it, uh, were more temperamental and really, you know, designed to operate closer to full throttle most of the time. And therefore, this car was usable, drivable, all that stuff, which made it even more attractive. And it's gorgeous. I, I, I mean, I thought yeah. 30 million was a bargain. I really did. Yeah. Know. You know, next time one comes up, why don't we try, you know, we'll split it. Wait, what I liked what you said is next time I'm going to get like a bidder's panel and, and then I'm going to bid at $5 million and then sweat until somebody outbids me. <laughs> that sounds kind of fun. You know, there's a, there's a couple of people who do that, not uh, not necessarily at the $5 million mark. But oh, they'll really? Open a, yeah, they'll open a $350,000 car with 100000 and they feel like a big shot because they owned a $300,000 car for a few minutes. I I'm do not do that. encourage that. I do not encourage that. So I'm going to play Big Papa for an evening one of these days. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, I think, you know, when you and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, 30 million was about what everybody expected. Um, I heard from somebody who was in the room that the way it went down was a little bit strange. They said they were going to open the bidding to the phones. The phone rang, the hammer dropped all within like 30 seconds, made it suggest that there was some confusion at the closing of this auction. I don't know if you were there, but it seems like that was unfounded. Was there anything weird? Uh, the only weird thing was that it opened so high and only got one other bid. Um, oh, so, okay. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, what's weird at auctions is that, you know, the, the, the unusual happens all the time. Sometimes yeah. cars go really, really fast. Sometimes they go slow. Sometimes they're up there for, you know, for 20, 20 minutes, it seems it's really more like four or five, but, uh, you know, and it takes a long, long time. I don't know what the deal was on this. Uh, thirty million seems like as soon as they reach the thirty million dollar uh, uh, 
mark they knew they weren't going to get anything more so they probably just went ahead and and uh hammered okay. it down you know the 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 auction company should know beforehand you know with, with the exception of some wild cards some people come in and don't say anything but uh you know they pretty well know who's on the car so who's a potential bidder maybe they had mm. two maybe they had three maybe they just had one and a half who knows but you know the car sold that's what counts yeah great great car oh man Okay, let's move on. This is another car we talked about a lot a couple of weeks ago. It was the 2015 Porsche 918 Spider, which was sold at the Broader Hour auction. And, you know, I think this this just, um, it didn't set a record. It didn't do great. It sold for about $2 million bucks, which is about what everybody thinks these are worth, which is really fascinating Consider it was a $7 million car when it was new nearly 10 years ago. So still strong demand for these cars. These sort of newer supercars are still doing quite well, don't you think? Yeah. Uh, you know what I loved about this car? It's black instead of silver because I'm so tired of seeing them in silver. And didn't that sound funny? But I think I've seen the last three were all, you know, one variation of Porsche silver colors. So I like that. It's 15 grand short of 2 million. Uh, believe me, by the time this car gets on a transfer and transporter and gets home and somebody pays taxes it's well over two million dollars tires yeah <laughs> yeah yeah exactly <laughs> they always need your tires yeah right exactly nobody sells and tires. nobody's gonna do one tire on this car <laughs> and very very few people in the world would do two tires it's four tires every time so. yeah and then also at those broad arrow auctions they had you know two of the uh I don't know what you do. You call them late model if they're built after 1980, Dave. Is that late model? Yeah, what, what for late some model for some people like you and me, it is. But uh, you know, they're 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 becoming uh, they're becoming collector cars at 1980 plus. So, yeah. yeah. Well, they had the Ferrari, the 288 Ferrari GTO, and the 95 Ferrari F50, and both still really strong prices. Um, I I I don't know if you had a chance to look at those cars. They're both red. I mean. <laughs> it's sort of fascinating to me that the 288 GTO, which which is a modification of a 308, which is not the greatest car, um, is almost it's sold for three point nine million dollars. This I don't price think that you know, it's not the modification of the 308. You're damning it with faint praise there. It has the same sort of body. That's about it. I mean, everything else is different. Mm -hmm. Three million nine ten. You know, let's mark that almost four million dollars. That's a lot of money for that car. Yeah. I remember it wasn't that many years ago in Arizona when one was selling and it went over a million dollars. And then, you know, the room went crazy because, you know, they hadn't seen anything like this before. Mm -hmm. You know, it's part of the collect the set, the F50, the F40, the 288 GTO, the Enzo or the LaFerrari. You know, if you're a serious, serious, serious collector, you got to have the entire set. So I think maybe that's part of what drives it. Now that uh, um, that F50 sold for four million two forty, which is really close to our uh, number two, maybe two minus price in the uh, in the price guide. Um, you know, again, it's the collect the set car. People have to have the F40 and the F50. I have a couple clients who uh, you know have F50s. A couple of them have, uh, have changed them out to get one with even lower mileage, which drives me crazy. Because Are you kidding? They should, no kidding. That's how they yeah. think. Yeah, they should have one with 50,000 miles or 40,000 miles, but huh. no, they all want them with, you know, 2,000 miles or whatever, or less than that. But, you know, huh. hey, they can do it. So let them do well, it. Well, I mean, in terms of like driving experience, I mean, I have not been behind the wheel of either of these, but the F50 is carbon tub, V12 with a stick. I mean, that thing's just got to be breathtaking. I think it's got to be one of the, I imagine, I imagine it's one of the all time great driving Ferraris ever. You know, I mean, yeah, it, yeah. It, we, we use the term race car for the street. It absolutely is. It's a, you know, uh, this was not a comfort car. The F40, even less so, I guess. But the F40, the F50, nothing about creature comfort or very, very little about creature comfort. It was all about go fast. Right. And the 288 GTO, you know, built in 1985 when they were still recovering from uh, unleaded gas and the compression ratios and motors were making no power. They had a bolt-on, a couple of turbos, twin turbos. They did intercool it. But, um, you know, that is a very surgy, peaky kind of power delivery, much different than maybe an F50. But they still cost about the same, which I think is really interesting. I guess you're right. You got to have the set. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Good to know. The other car that I think uh, really did break out a little bit was this uh again at broad arrow was that nsx type r the 1995 uh that sold for six hundred thirty two thousand dollars. 
That seemed pretty strong for an NSX to me. I don't know where you come in on. Well, of course, it's a Honda, not a not an Acura NSX, oh. which is uh, you know right. a little bit I'm different. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. You didn't say do that. You feel, do you feel pulling. superior for correcting me now? No, you didn't say it. I'm not. I'm not correcting you. I'm telling the public that it's <laughs> okay. a Honda and not. Boy, Mister Defensive. Uh, I'm yeah, insecure, Dave. You know yeah, that. <laughs> six thirty-two, and there's a whole bunch of people saying, "Whoa, whoa, wait! I can get an NSX for a hundred grand. Not the same car." Uh, yeah. I'm going to take a deeper dive into this. I'm going to try and find out a little bit more about this car and, and the story behind it, because it is a Type R. And I think the collectors are really starting to get onto those, uh, the, the Type Rs. So, uh, you know, here's the really amazing thing. Um, you know, there were people who said that uh, an NSX, when it came out, they said, this is a Ferrari 328 done right. Yeah. Uh, now, uh, the NSX, uh, you know, in Acura or Honda form, um, are proving to be a very, very solid investment for a lot of people. They've gone up, they've gone down, uh, and there's a whole bunch of difference between the target tops and the year build and all that sort of stuff. But it's always worth watching the NSXs. I thought this was a strong price to right-hand drive car. Oh, yeah. And uh, I think that doesn't seem to matter. Uh, that a car's right-hand drive, if it's special, if it's a, I mean, I've heard that the Type R's, you know, they did an Integra Type R, NSX Type R. You know, this was in the era when Honda engineering was on fire. You know, they just come off the dominant uh, era with McLaren in uh, Formula One. And um, these were called like the Shelby Mustangs of the era. So mm-hmm. they really put on a lot of special stuff, especially this is a first generation NSX. This was uh, reportedly heavily tuned by Ayrton Senna, which I think helps. And by the way, Dave, NSX, uh, I got a soft spot. It's the only car I've ever bought and sold where I just made a ton of money. <laughs> like, I think there, there's a lot of people who said that, actually, because, there, uh, you know, you all you had to do was hold on for a while. And there if was, you bought them, bought them at the right time, they were I only up. had to hold on for six months. There was one on a corner lot here with 30,000 miles, a 91, a red one. For 30 grand. And a friend of mine goes, oh, my God, don't they know what these are worth? And so we split it. And then I'm like, well, if it only costs us 15 grand a year, I'm going to enjoy it. So I just drove it. But then I knew what it was worth. So I freaked out and we put it on. uh, We auctioned it and got 60. So I was like, wow, that's a nice turn. Yeah. So uh, soft spot for NSX. But mm, I don't know. They're beautiful cars. They look great. But, you know, for what they cost, there's a lot of better driving cars out there. Uh, yeah. Well, the good news about this right-hand drive one, you know, the guy can have a second career as a mail delivery guy and he can do it fast, <laughs> faster than anybody else. So, I mean, you always look for the practical, right, Larry? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. One of the things that caught your eye was the 65 Ferrari 500 Super Fast Series 2. What's the story here, Dave? Big fan of the super fast cars. They're the, uh, you know, the swoopy cars, uh, you know, basically, I guess would be the best way to describe them from Ferrari from the 1960s. Uh, this particular car uh, uh, sold at, uh, uh, where do we have a price here? Yikes. Don't see the price, but it was a good buy. Uh, we have a number one at $3,150, a number two at 2650 Um, And this car sold for uh, quite a bit less than that. I don't know why I'll, I'll you know, I'm, I'm kind of wondering i'm going to make some phone calls about this car but uh um it's going to be interesting to find out because not only that there was another ferrari that got out really cheap wait Uh, wait would you just tell me a little bit about uh it's a pininfarina body which built most of the bodies back then but then they made this super fast line was that a joke or what does it mean? Like oh no no power? no! They, oh. First they had the Super America, then the Super Fast. These were okay. the these were the ultimate road going Ferraris of the mid nineteen sixties. Um, you know they have uh, uh, like you said a, a Pininfarina body, but very very low build numbers on these cars. So that you'll you'll find that uh, you know some of them have twelve and fourteen in the series stuff like that. Um, and the Super Fast cars. I think they might be going down in value because, uh, um, uh, you know, the some of the Ferrari collectors from that era, they all have what they want, and they're moving into later cars. So we're going to watch that and see what happens. Is that but, because you could get the same basic experience and chassis with a different body for less money so that you're like, well, I get kind of the experience. It doesn't maybe look the same, but, yeah. You know, very perceptive on your part because oh, a three, 332 plus two, um, you know, kind of do some of the same stuff, but it's not the same. Uh, you know, it's kind of like saying I can buy a, you know, a, 
I don't know, a, a, a Ford Escape. Uh, and it's the same as the Lincoln Aviator or whatever the the the, the version is. I mean, it's going to be a little more comfortable. This is going to have a lot more cool stuff. I had a friend who had a super fast, and I love this part. You could reach under the dashboard, which yeah. was still accessible, and there was a handle, kind of like a door handle. And when you pulled the handle towards you, the right hand drive, the right hand door opened. So here's the deal: you're pulling up at the Casino Monte Carlo. You see your girl. <laughs> you see your girlfriend on the yeah, corner. Yeah. You know, she, you. she looks I'm... over. Instead of having to get out and get the car, you can still be a total gentleman by oh. reaching down and pulling this handle, and the you know the right hand door just glides out. Now that's kind of. You know, that's cool bone stuff. Who's my girlfriend? Who's my girlfriend in this? In this uh, um, that would be Gina Lola Bridget, I'm pretty sure. I don't know who that is. Okay, so uh, and Margaret? I don't know. I'm thinking 60s. Uh, oh, you, you, you know, just killed whatever. it. You had this awesome story going. I was totally okay, with you. And then okay, you blew okay. it at the last minute. Okay, Supercar Blondie. That's who it is. Okay. <laughs> She's married, Dave. I mean. Yeah, okay. All right. Well, yeah, but I mean, you know, you're just giving her a ride from the casino. You know, you don't don't go thinking that. You know, you're just being a nice guy. Okay, That's but this, this thing, uh, uh, this this car did not sell for as much money as you thought it might. So this yep. is maybe an indicator that there may be some changes going on in the mid '60s Ferrari market. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, a little bit. I, you know, I, mm. you can't just say it because of one or two or even five cars, but uh, uh, there might be a little bit of weakness. We're going to, you know, we we drill down on the price guide all the time. So we're going to make sure that uh, if there is, we'll report it next time out and uh, we'll wait and see. We don't care if they go up or go down. We just want to be as accurate as possible. So that's, uh, you know, that's what we do. Uh, you know, we get people pissed off at us when we go up in value. We get people pissed off when we go down in value. Yeah, yeah. We get people pissed off when we leave them the same. So, you know, it's okay. We, we, we're, I'm a big guy. I can take that. Uh, hey, I'm, hey. Big, I'm big poppy, right? Big papa. No, big, big papa. Big papa. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, and then, you know, you, it's kind of interesting. I was looking at the Mecham site, and there's another Ferrari that you also uh, highlighted because something happened here. They don't show the, the sold prices on their site, or is it just there's a delay? No. You haven't uh, you haven't signed in and become a member of the Meekum Infonet. Always uh, another you, velvet rope. Always. Yeah, I know. Always another velvet rope. And I'll always rope. be outside him. But I can tell you what this sold for because I was smart enough to write it down last night when I was doing all my research here. Yeah. It sold for $1,760,000. Now, are you sitting down, pal? Are you ready? I'm ready. Hit me. Our number four is $2 million. Whoa, this car looks like a number two, at least. It looks it beautiful. It is. It is. And our wow. number two is $2,550,000. Now, either the value of these have gone down that much, which I very seriously doubt, or somebody got a wild price. Because if you can take one seven sixty and turn it into two five, uh, you're not only smart, you're rich. Dave, I'm so mad at you. Like... You probably saw this happening in real time, and you didn't pick up the phone and call me. I mean, screw you. You're supposed to help me get into this new rarefied world, and you're I, just keeping me out. This car is gorgeous. It has, like, I that can, bow tail. Oh, my God. Oh, I can only think of 1,760,000 reasons why you and I did not buy this car <laughs> last weekend. Big uh, Papa's you know. got credit. I know he does. <laughs> <laughs> credit, you said it. <laughs> exactly. But uh, Big Papa's not using his credit right now. Big Papa's trying to uh, pull the cards in a little bit. So, I we'll mean, say. this car is, I'm, it's really hard to justify any car that's like a seven-figure car. But, you know, in, in, in sort of this ferrari roadster line of the 60s the tail on this car and no, the it's gorgeous car. Are, you know and the, it, and the color oh my god the the car before this was the 275 gts and then it morphed into the, the, the 330 uh you know different engines but they they made a lot of changes the 275 looks like a grown-up 124 spider i hate to say that but it's true um the 330 went off on a little bit different angle got a little bit more roundy and uh you know is a very very good they're both good looking cars i would not turn either one of them down but uh, uh but i, I mean yeah, this I is a green car uh, it's got the V12, and it says it has factory air conditioning, which I imagine doesn't work. But still. no, it should it should work. I mean, in a car restored to this level, uh, I would think that. Well, actually, 
I know a previous owner of this car, so I've got a little inside information. The air conditioning did, did work a couple of years ago because uh, um, the I did speak to the previous owner of the car. He was really mad at himself that he didn't pay attention to this car going through the sale. He would have bought it back for this money. I know that for a fact. So there are still bargains out there. Yeah. And speaking of bargains. Okay. Mas- let's just say I, I'm not going to forgive you for not calling me when this was happening. I would have, we, we could have scraped the money together. We could have had, you know, like we could have had, we, we could have started like some kind of mutual fund, Dave, and I get all our friends to kick in 10 grand and bought that thing. Can we do that next time? Yeah, we could. It's a, uh, it's called the uh, illegal, I believe by doing that, but uh, <laughs> yeah, sure. Sure. We can do it. It's um, the man keeping me down. I know it. <laughs> yeah, right. No, I, you know, we'll, we'll start a perspective. What is it? Uh, you know, past performance does not, you know, whatever, all that sort of stuff. Or, uh, you know, if it lasts over four hours, you have to call your doctor. I don't know. One of those things. Anyhow, a Maserati 3500 GT Coupe. Okay. Are you ready now? I think so. Okay. It sold for $106,400. That's including the juice. The pre sale estimate at Gooding was $225 to $275. I looked at this car. It was not a bad car. Our number one in the price guide is $268, really close to that uh, Gooding number. Our number four, $166. This car sold for $60 thousand dollars below our number four condition and this car was not a number four condition car it was much nicer than that so here's the bargain of the day at uh, uh you know at uh, gooding i guess well i mean it's one of two things right either this was an incredible bargain or the value of these have changed and you just you simply got your values wrong you know, Larry, I appreciate that. And let me, uh, let me, let me get on the sofa here for a second. There's a sofa right here. So I'll, uh, you know, I'll go and say that, you know, my mommy didn't love me or something like that. No, you're wrong. Actually, No, no, this one, I'm going to fight you. Okay. Um, yeah. That's, that's parts car price for this car. I Is mean, right? you know, yeah. yeah, it was, it was a, a stone cold bargain. I'm trying not to use any uh, expletives. So I'm just going to call it a stone cold bargain. Um, I would have bought this car if I'd been in the room. I would have found the way to come up with $106,000. And I'm sure I could find that because I just go raid your IRA or your stock account or something like that. What, what are those? I, anyway, I mean, it, this is kind of interesting because it's 61. It's a Maserati, right? It was built in Italy. If it has a Ferrari badge, this car is worth. 10, 20 times what this Maserati is, right? Nah, not 10, 20 times. I mean, oh. you know, Maserati was a competitor. They were smaller then. They're smaller now. Of course, you know, it's, it's kind of now owned by the same people no matter what. Or, you know, has the same kind of, the same heritage, but uh, not oh. the same heritage back then. They were completely different cars. So, um, you know, what can I say? This was, uh, you know, this was one of those things that got out. And someday, look, okay, Larry, let me just go back. Let me just say this. If you have six auctions going on, five auctions going on, if you were physically able to go to every one of them and you knew the values of cars, Uh you could be guaranteed to make money. I don't care if the market's up, if the market's down. All you have to do is have that information, that information that we try and give to you, you know, through the insider, through the price guide, all that sort of stuff. And I can't be in every place at once, number one. And number two, Uh uh, you know, Big Mama doesn't want me to. To buy any more cars, so. oh, and shit. I, I, uh, I kind yeah. of agree with her. So, what I love about this car, I mean, if if uh, if we could scroll over to the engine bay, it has this metal turned aluminum strip around the sure. the whole of the bay, which looks like it. I mean, you're gonna laugh, but this says to me, it says you know 1977 Trans Am, but I think that look predated <laughs> the Trans Am. Oh yeah, and it, it wasn't made out of plastic either. It was actually made out of metal. So yeah, uh, yeah, the engine turning stuff—that's you know—that's all great. You know, now keep in mind this is 61,500 GT, so it's not the GTI, which was the little bit later car, the injected ones. Uh, with Maserati, you know, there are no rules because back then they would pretty well make anything for anybody as long as they could. Uh, You'll figure out a way to sell it. But uh, yeah, you. a lot of people say, I don't want the injected one. Uh, now, a lot of people now uh, like the injected ones a little bit better than the carbureted ones. But yeah, I'll go either way. Well, okay. Uh, on the other end of the spectrum, Dave, in my selfish interest, and we don't have the link for this, 
but there was a GT4, a 308 GT4, which is, you know, that's the car that I bought for 25000 and and in, and in the middle of restoration hell. Though One of that sold for $450,000. So I think I'm you're rich. feeling so flush right now. Yeah, I think you're rich. I'm pretty sure, you know, what's going to happen is <clears throat> you're going to be able to sell your car for pretty darn close to that kind of money. <laughs> You're going to retire. You're going to be the happiest guy. You're going to get a place up. Uh, where where would it be up? Somewhere in the Upper Peninsula, and we'll never hear from you again. Is that what happens? Well, my kids are all thinking, "Holy smokes! Now we get to go to college. This is awesome. You're not just wasting our money anymore." <laughs> you have told them of the values of the Michigan college system, and that state is a great school, as is the university, right? Well, I think what this would be fun to to speak to because I hear you say this all the time: one sale does not make the market. So it's right. not time for me to celebrate, right? Am I am I right about this? Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. This yeah, one that... could have, uh, you know, and the colors on this one are great. Uh, kind of a uh, with the metallic green with red leather. Uh, you know, may I suggest you do your car in metallic green with red leather now? Uh, but uh, I, I yeah, could do that. Yeah, you could. You could. Okay, so moving on, there was this weird post-pre-war Peugeot and. Uh, uh, these cars, I, I know nothing about them, but something about this one, this 1911 type BP1, caught your eye. What was it? Okay. Pre-war, as in pre-World War One, you mean, because it's 1911. <laughs> okay. Now, here is the deal. Who designed this car, this uh, Peugeot type BP1, baby Peugeot? Mr. Peugeot? No. Oh. Mr. Bugatti. Get out. This car is basically a baby, baby Bugatti. This was one of, uh, you know, one of Peugeot, uh, you know, it was a popular car for Peugeot. This was before Bugatti, you know, took off by himself. This car at 5,000, am I right on this? Let me just double this check. This 5,600. This was sold by Broad Arrow, yeah. 5,600. Now, okay, let's talk about this sale. Where was the position on this car? It was the first car to be sold. I always look for bargains near the beginning. I always look for bargains near the end. Oh. This was a stone cold bargain with the exception of, I'm going to have to say, the first time you do anything with this car, you're going to have to spend a hundred grand. Yeah, this is going to cost you. I think this one is the perfect restoration project for somebody who wants to learn about old cars because there's a possible upside if you do it yourself. The build quality in 1911, eh, not exactly like even 1931. I mean, you know, things were pretty rudimentary back then, yeah, so right. you could learn on this car. Somebody with the talent of a, oh, what Larry Webster could put this <laughs> car back together and yeah, you know yeah, and get yeah. it running. It's oh. dirt simple, and you know, no, you don't have a twenty thousand dollar car when it's running. You might have a hundred thousand dollar car when this car is running. So, who collects these? Bugatti collectors, because okay, this okay, is a okay. car Wait. they can actually use. You know, if, I'm you're so, if you're so enthusiastic about it, then you should have stepped up and bought it first off, Dave. I mean, um, first off, I, I will you, say, yeah, had I to... been there, had I been there, you know, wishes and fishes. Right. But had I been there, I would <laughs> I would have bought it. You know Wait. why? I'm no good. I'm no good at restoring, but I am really good at donating. And oh. this car would be a perfect donation to, oh, say, a school in Kansas, maybe, that uh, might like oh. to learn about the really early cars. That's a good idea. Look at and, uh, you know, this car was definitely worth more than that. And, you know, sometimes the first car sells cheap. Sometimes it doesn't. It's just happened to be the first car, and it sold really cheap. Wait, wishes and fishes. What, what the hell is that? I have no idea. You, you know, if wishes, if, if wishes were fishes, if you know, like fishes. the sea is full of fishes, and they're the same as wishes until you own them, until you have them. It's just a sea full of things. Oh, okay. Maybe it's a little beyond you. I get it. I, yeah, I'm thicker than usual. You know, I had a rough week of uh, we all and champagne. So I, I, uh... I'm just going to tell you this, and this is not a funny joke. There were three guys staying here at the house that we're renting. One of them is at the dock in the box right now. One of them is visiting his doctor right now, both of them because of stress levels and because of uh, uh, walking so much that, you know, their dogs are hurting so bad they went to, to oh, see the doctor about stress. it. Stress. I mean, it's supposed to be fun. They're doing it wrong. I mean, get him on the phone. Are they on the phone? Well, you'll notice that I, I'll talk hey, to I'm, not, I'm no. not the one. I'm, I, you know, I create stress levels for people. I don't have them myself. <laughs> That's right. So. 
Big Papa just holds court. That's exactly where it is. I get it. Uh, okay. <laughs> I just snorted. <laughs> Um, I tell you, you highlighted this last one. It's it's sort of a car that's under the radar, but it's super gorgeous and super cool. Tell us about it. Well, uh, if you are a person of a certain age, even somebody as young as you or even younger, you've probably seen the movie Herbie the Love Bug. Come on. Yep. How many times have you seen it? Couple? That's classified. Okay. So you had you showed it to your kids too, right? <laughs> you you that was mandatory yeah, when they were, were two bored. Years old. I was like, what this is the funniest mandatory. Movie ever? Yeah. Well, who was the bad guy? Do you remember the name? I don't remember his name, but he had that great mustache, right? Thorndike. This is the Thorndike special. This is the actual one of two cars that was used in filming the movie Herbie oh the gosh. Love Bug. Yeah. This is an Apollo GT. It's a real live car. This is not, you know, they called it the Thorndike Special. It's really an Apollo GT. This car sold for one sixty five seven, which was pretty good, except for that's our number three price, and this was better than a number three. Our number two price is two hundred four, and that's without the history of being in Herbie the Love Bug. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, you know, the colors are a little oddball because it was painted for the movie and it's mm. got the round bells on it and all that sort of stuff. Uh, a guaranteed smile on the face of people of a certain age at the very least. And I'm going to say this last generations because this will keep you two-year-olds shut up for about two hours, right? If you let them watch Herbie the Love Bug, it's fascinating. I mean, but this is what's, this this is one of those cars that's kind of forgotten in history because it was one of those really interesting hybrids from back then. It had an Italian body and it used Mm -hmm. that lightweight Buick V8 that, was kind of on the radar, but didn't really get used as much as it probably should have. So consequently, these cars didn't, I don't know how many they sold total. It wasn't large. It was like under 20. So, well, okay. So you look at your history book. There's a car called the Veda Ventura. There's a car called the Apollo, but it led into something called the Italia. Uh, Same person. Frank Reisner involved in them. And so Frank Reisner, uh, who, you know, I mean, they they had a business going in Canada until very, very recently, Hmm. uh, you know, building inner mechanical cars all related in there. You're right. It's a footnote to history, but it's a Buick V8 footnotes to history. And they're pretty fun cars to drive. They came in a convertible and a coupe. They came in a two plus two as well. That was a really ambitious thing for the uh, for the 60s. But, you know, it's the Thorndike special, dude. Come on. I think you're right. I agree with you. This seems like a bargain. You know, you get yep. all the style. You get a really dirt reliable engine. It's not a fiberglass body. It's a steel body. So it's hand formed. And, you know, these things are uh, trading for Corvette Z06 money. It's kind of amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> and then, okay, before we say goodbye, um, this was this car really was talk of the town. Uh, I think all week. And this, we spoke about it last week. It is just a hulk of twisted, burned, rusted metal that somebody claims was at some point a Ferrari. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, this was the car that people were talking about. It's, uh, uh, you know, not the 412P, which, the you know, the car that everybody, uh, you know, was, was thinking were the big thing. But this is a 500 Mondial. Uh, and it's probably the most interesting sale because it is a pile of parts. Everything is missing instead of some things are missing. There's no taillights. There's no bumpers. There's no seats. There's no nothing. Just a big pile of fun stuff. And it sold for a lot of money. Well, it was interesting because when we spoke about it a couple of weeks ago, this car, I, I would just love to attach myself to this carcass and see what happens next, you know, because I don't even know like what metal you could salvage. And it's really going to test the theory that no car, you can't destroy any car as long as you have the number plate. Right. And, um, you know, one of the things I, I, I find so fascinating about this classic car market, and I, I asked a lot of people this, what I asked you, there's some handful of people, if this car gets restored, a handful of people will um, decree that it's a restoration of actual car or if they think it's a recreation, so it's fake. And I don't know where that's going to land, but that's going to determine everything. 
Yeah. You still agree with me here? You still with me? Yeah. Um, you know, the car sold for one million eight seventy five. And I know that uh um, you know, hard hard to believe if you look at it, but it could be a five million dollar car when it's restored. So do the math. Uh I'm thinking that's three million and change is the difference. You can get the car restored pretty much any Ferrari shop. Let's just say that, you know, outside craziness. A million and a half, two million dollars, something along those lines. I don't know, uh, but in the meantime, uh, the uh, you know there's a lot of room in this car, so uh, it is a serial number plate with a bunch of attached things to it. I guess is one way to look at it. But it's going <laughs> yeah. to be so cool. It's, it's going a- to be so cool to see this on the show field at Pebble Beach in maybe what 2026. I, I don't know. It's such a dice roll. It really is. That's kind of what yeah. I love about it. And but you also said that this may just be something somebody buys to put at the entrance to their collection. You know, think about it. You know, the big gates, you know, you drive up the driveway for a mile after going through the big gates and giving them your security clearance and all that sort of stuff. And you get to this Ferrari collectors, you know, kind of a, you know, Dr. No kind of, you know, uh, James Bond type of character. And uh, in the forecourt, you know, surrounding the garages uh, is this big, big piece of metal sculpture. That's something else you could do to it, too. I mean, there's yeah. nothing's going to nothing's going to ruin it by leaving it outside for a few dozen. Years, right? <laughs> I get it. Big, big Papa's got big vision. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> well, I, Dave, I think we I hope we've given everybody a pretty good kind of lay of the land. If you like this podcast, please like it, subscribe, share it with your friends. If you are listening uh, on your favorite podcast network, be it Spotify or Apple, and you're wondering, what do these cars look like? We also do a YouTube version that actually has all the photos of the car. That's at Haggerty's No Reserve on YouTube. So please check that out. Share it, like it, comment, all that good stuff. Uh, Dave, as always, I learned a lot from you. It was fascinating running into you and what you and your people are looking at. And, um, you know, I will never not be amazed being at Monterey and seeing the the nuttiness of these cars. And uh, just, I really love being around them. Anything you'd like to add before we say goodbye? You know, I, I was thinking about this. Uh, everybody should come out here at least once. Um, I mean, you know, Woodward Green, Dream Cruise, you should go to. Absolutely. But yeah, if you have, if you have, have the time, or you have the coin to come out here, you know, you can play at different levels. You can come out with a camper van if you want, something like that, and save quite a bit of money on uh, lodging. You could. But, yep. uh, uh, but uh, I mean, you got to see it. The streets are wild and crazy with all kinds of cars that you've never, ever seen before. I mean, a Pagani, you know, drives by and everybody goes, oh, yeah, it's a yeah there you go. Uh, yeah. Yeah, 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 whatever. Uh, I mean, because there are so many unusual things out here. Uh, every year uh, at one week in August in Pebble Beach. The great hack, by the way, I've done this twice. I didn't do it this year because I didn't need it, is if you can get yourself a little small gas-powered 50cc scooter, you are invincible. There is no yeah. traffic that will stop you. California allows you to split lanes when cars are stopped. Yep. So it gives you freedom of movement to get whatever you want, which is a big advantage in this thing. That would be my recommendation. You know, mine would be to find a billionaire with a helicopter. That's a, that's a better hack. <laughs> that's how Big Papa rolls. I know. Lucky <laughs> you. <laughs> well, thank you, Dave. It was great talking to you. And thanks, everybody, for listening to Haggerty's No Reserve. Take care.